0: Thank you, Andrew. Ooh, that's loud, it's loud back there. (laughs) Good morning. I love the way it's called the Yuma Dove Conference. It sounds so spiritual, the dove being the symbol of the Spirit of God and all those kind of things, and yet we blasted them out of the air left and right, you know, so. It was a great time. We had a good time of fellowship, I know I did. It was a great time hunting and camaraderie. We spent some time in the Word. We barely got enough to eat, but other than that, I mean, we <laughs> we scraped by and managed somehow. But uh, I, I think over the... I'm not going to pray that it doesn't go away, but over the next few days or weeks, the tenderness of my right shoulder will be a reminder of the good time we had together and the bruising. So... Uh, Anyway, thank you again. We want to turn to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. 1 Samuel, chapter 1. God, who's given us richly all things to enjoy. 1 Samuel, chapter 1. Let me read from verse 1, beginning in verse 1. For Samuel chapter 1 and verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathiel Zophim of Mount Ephraim and his name was Elkanah the son of Jeroham the son of Elihu the son of Tohu the son of Zuth, an Ephrathite and he had two wives the name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other Peninnah Peninnah had children but Hannah had no children And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. When the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, or a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat, Then said, Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons?' So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child... Then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long will thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thy handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. And Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad, and they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house to Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about, after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah Elkanah, and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever." And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, tarry until thou have weaned him, only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah flour and a bottle of wine, and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. They slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord, mine horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more exceedingly proud. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased so that the barren hath borne seven. She that hath many children is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. The sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Sorry if I didn't get around and speak to some of you this morning, but I knew that also after this meeting we're having an, having an, uh, having an eating meeting, and uh, I figured perhaps we can uh, say hi during that time and have a little bit more time to, to chat. So uh, we'll look forward to that after this meeting is done. If you haven't noticed, uh, it's an election year. (laughs) And uh, whenever there's an election year in any country, but particularly, well, not particularly, but whenever there's an election year, in this country particularly, where there is a choice to be made by folks, um, it's always a very interesting time, isn't it? And perhaps this is one of the more interesting of those times, at least in my lifetime. Uh, And I'm not here to talk about the election, thankfully, but it's interesting that during times of change uh, and times of change in government, that it can be a very topsy-turvy kind of a time, a very uh, uh, sort of a hectic type of time and a lot of different things that can be taking place. And when we come to this chapter, the first chapter of the book of Samuel, it is a uh, turning point in history, in our Bible history, in the history of God's government in the world. Because we come to a book now which in our Bibles is called the book of 1 Samuel, but in Hebrew Bible and other Bibles it is called the first book of the kings, so there would be four books of the kings, what we call First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. So this is the first book of the kings, and it's called that because this is the book where we will be introduced to the first king of Israel, and where the establishment of a monarchy will take place that will carry on all the way up until the coming of the time of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of David. But we're at a time of transition, and the transition that occurs is that the setting of what we find in the first few chapters of First Samuel takes place during the time when the judges still were the uh, God-established authorities uh, in the land at that time among the nation of Israel. And so remember, if you will, that the book that precedes this, the book of Ruth, sort of a little vignette that's set in the middle of that dark scene of the last chapters of the book of Ruth. And for, for perhaps some of the young folks who don't know, a vignette is sort of like a small uh, miniature painting, if you will. And it's this little setting in the book of Ruth that's found in the, book of, uh, in the timing of the book of Judges. And if you remember in the last chapters of the book of Judges, there's a phrase that is repeated, Um, several times there, I think it's four times at least found in the latter chapters of the book of Judges, that says, and every man did that which was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel in those days. And so you see, it's a prelude leading up to what is about to take place in the book of 1 Samuel, when ultimately the people come and say, we want a king. And the rest uh, tells us how that all unfolded. And so, as the book of Judges, being a cyclical book, one that goes in cycles, but goes in somewhat deteriorating cycles, each cycle seems to lead them further downward and further downward apart from the things of God, we find a scene of deterioration around and a scene of decline, a time when things are out of order in the nation of Israel. Things were out of order. And things were out of order in the highest of places. Not only were things out of order at the family level, at the basic level, I mean, you're, you're keyed in immediately, aren't you, that things were out of order when you read about this man, Alcana, and he had two wives. And as soon as you read that, you know you're in for trouble. <laughs> two wives the man had. Not only did the man have two wives, one of the wives couldn't have children. And as bad as that was, and as much as she desired children, the other wife could have children, and she used the fact that she could have children to needle the other one who couldn't have children. So what a happy home. Oftentimes in the Bible, we find these happy homes, don't we? And so things were broke down. There was a breakdown, and and man's will prevailing instead of God's will prevailing. That was sort of the scene in which this this whole setting is found. And then there was corruption and laxity in the priesthood. So at the highest spiritual level, the men that were there to represent God and to uphold his truth, they were lax in their in their functions and lacks in the responsibility and uh, corruption that existed. It is interesting even to contrast in these early chapters of the book of Samuel, particularly first chapter, you remember the, not only the insensitivity of Hannah's husband because as she pours out her soul and, and, and tells him what her deepest desire is, he looks at her in almost what you want to say, typical male fashion, and says, well, am I not better to you than ten sons? At which point, uh, you want to say, uh, no. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> but not only was the husband insensitive, there was a spiritual dullness about the priest Eli. Because here's this woman who's pouring out her soul unto God, and he rebukes her, thinking she's drunk. And she says, don't count me as one of the sons of Belial. The last verse that I read from chapter 2 talks about Eli's sons who were in the priesthood, Hophni and Phinehas, who were sons of Belial. Why didn't he rebuke them? But he continued to let them function. He didn't remove them from office, even though there were gross atrocities, violations of God's word carried on in the highest places. So everything's kind of out of whack. And a time of things being out of order, a breakdown in the nation, God's truth not being held. You know, sometimes we see it today, it's not that we as Christians are a nation in the sense of uh, a theocracy like, like they had in that day. The only sense in which we are a nation, if you will, is not by national ties, but by spiritual bonds that God has created us in Christ as a new people, a people unto himself, not a part of the system of the world and not under the world's authority except where God has prescribed it and the powers that be are ordained of God. But we're not a, a nation in that sense. We are a spiritual people. And yet, as God has established his church, the body of Christ uh, in the world today, every believer is a part of that, we often see a breakdown there as well, don't we? Man's will prevailing, God's truth not being the prominent thing that guides and steers the direction of what we do not only individually, but collectively. There can be a breakdown. I just noticed this morning, it's one of the wonderful things about the Word of God, isn't it, that you read it a hundred times or whatever, and uh, I'm um, one who likes to um, carefully mark in my Bible. I I don't normally just put down random thoughts. It's just me. I just like to put down things that I don't have to look back and think later, why did I put that there, you know? Why did I mark that verse? But anyway, I was just noticing this morning that you have Elkanah, who is a worshiper. Scripture says it. He went down to worship the Lord at the appropriate time and to sacrifice unto the Lord. A worshiper whose house is out of order. And then you have Eli, a priest whose house is out of order and because he was a priest the order of God's house was not maintained but then one of the beautiful things that stands out in this section to me is that you have Hannah and her heart was in order and we'll see how that plays out as we continue to look now uh, one of the things that's important to see again is often is in these book of books of kings, is that the answer to the problem that the people faced was not political. God did not first raise them up a king. He first raised them up a prophet because the problem was spiritual. And whenever you see a prophet appear on the scene, God's mouthpiece, it's a reminder that there was failure among the people, not that they were at a high state, they were at a low state. That might do you well to remember even in the context of New Testament things because sometimes when prophets, well, when you see prophets appear on the scene and there sometimes was a flurry of miraculous activity that could have been associated with them, it didn't mean that the people were at some high pinnacle of spiritual level of maturity. It meant there was extreme deterioration that had taken place. And it was not the the rule, but it was the exception and so the prophets appear because the problem obviously was a spiritual one. And we want to look now a little bit more in depth at, particularly at Hannah and begin to focus in a bit on her and how this plays out on a bigger scene because this is a book that, that will begin to tell us some of the principles of God's government. And Hannah will see In her daily experience of life, bigger principles that have to do with the very government of this universe, it is remarkable for that, if not for anything else. And so we remember the situation. Here was Hannah. She had no child. More than anything else in life, she wanted a child, and they went up as they did from time to time. Uh, as God prescribed to the house of the Lord, remember that time that the the house of the Lord, as we were reminded, the tabernacle was in Shiloh. At that time, you find that that was one of the main one of, one of the main objectives of the latter part of the book of ja- Joshua, as that when finally the land rested and ceased from war, when security of the of the land had taken uh, such a, a turn that things were secure enough. They established a temporary, semi-permanent place for the tabernacle to dwell at Shiloh. And that's where then they began to go to the house of the Lord, which was the tabernacle that was established there at Shiloh. And so they went up there from time to time to to worship the Lord and to offer the prescribed sacrifices. And it may be a telling thing in verse 9. I wouldn't necessarily make too much of it, except by way of observation, that as we've often had ministry on the tabernacle or those of us who've spoken on it from time to time have pointed out that of all the furniture in the tabernacle, there's one thing that wasn't there, and that was a chair because the priest work was never done. And it's significant when you read in the book of Hebrews that Christ, after his sacrifice, sat down. The work was finished. So you find Eli sitting by a post in the temple of the Lord. And apparently his, his lack of energy was translated not only into physical things, but he didn't have a zeal, proper zeal, for the things of God. He didn't have a zeal for the things of God. He wasn't fervent about the things of God. Mark in your Bible and your thinking, if not physically mark in your Bible, but at least note that you'll find in verse 10 that Hannah prayed. In verse 12, she continued praying. In verse 15, she poured out her soul before the Lord. In verse 20, she named her son Samuel because I've asked him of the Lord. In verse 26, she was there, reminds him that she was praying unto the Lord. In verse 27, she says, for this child I prayed. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, Hannah prayed. If you didn't know better, you'd get the idea that Hannah was a woman of prayer. And she named her son Samuel, I've asked him of God. It it was emblematic of the fact that she was a woman who prayed. That in the midst of turbulent times, in the midst of times that things, things were not going right, things in her personal life that were not right, in her own bitterness of soul, in her own personal anguish, in her own personal pain, and the trial of life that was overwhelming to her, It didn't prevent her from praying to the Lord. It didn't turn her from praying to the Lord. We were reminded that it was the Lord himself who had shut up her womb. God had done it. This wasn't one of those things that happens in life where sometimes you wonder, why did this happen? Why did this occur? Was it just an accident? No, this is specifically said here. It was the Lord that shut up her womb. And of all things she wanted as a woman in that day particularly, she wanted to have a child. And she couldn't have a child. Why not? Because God had done this. But it didn't cause that woman to be bitter against the Lord, did it? I speak now and, and I want to be careful because it can go either way, can it? Experiences happen in life. Atrocities happen in life. Difficulties happen in life. Personal circumstances happen in life. And they can turn folks from the Lord. They can cause people to be bitter against the Lord. But it wasn't that way with Hannah. She continued to pray. She wanted a child. And it wasn't just a selfish thing, she wanted a child, uh, as it says specifically. In verse 11, Lord, if you will look upon my affliction, if you will remember me, if you don't forget me, if you'll give to me not only a child, Lord, but a man-child, I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. I'll give him to you, Lord. And a man-child that can be dedicated to the very service of the Lord. I don't know whether I should tell this, but you men that were on the Dove Conference, have already heard me say that whenever I think I shouldn't tell this, I do. So I will. But um, most of you folks have met Keith Kaiser, haven't you? You know Keith, dear brother. Um, Funny story about Keith, I've known Keith many years, since he was a very young man, and I never really had met anybody who didn't like Keith. You know, he's just a likable kind of guy. And it was just comical to me that when he first met his wife, Naomi, she couldn't stand him. (laughs) And I thought, isn't that ironic, you know? She thinks he's arrogant. (laughs) Keith. So the Lord had to change her mind. But before Keith's father died, I've been in their home a number of times as father and mother. So interested to hear the story of Keith's birth how many weeks premature he was. Now Keith is, you know, I guess he's 40-ish or whatever now. And so we're talking a long time ago before they had the medical procedures that they do now. And for a baby to be born, you know, two months or whatever premature with physical difficulties, you know, there wasn't a lot of chance. And the doctor said, actually said to Pat Kaiser, his mother, you might as well say your goodbyes now. You'll never take this child home. She said, His father and I have prayed for this boy, that he would be used of God, and we will take this child home. There are two brothers. Most of you wouldn't know Brian, the older brother. Brian's physical condition is is fine but his spiritual condition is something different. And there's Keith, with whatever physical limitations he has, but as far as his mind, I don't know anybody that I know personally in our little group that has a mind like Keith. We will take him home. We've asked God for him, and that he might be dedicated to the Lord's service. And yet, what if they hadn't taken him home? That's the other side, isn't it? But Hannah, you see, even though Hannah, and this is so so powerful to me, even though she was unfulfilled in her life, in other words, the thing that she really wanted, God withheld it from her for his reasons, even though that took place it did not stop her from worshiping the Lord. It did not stop her from praying and believing in God. And that's why I say, she was a remarkable woman, wasn't she? Here she was in life, and, in, and it can happen in life that we don't get that that we want, and we are, don't get that which perhaps would fulfill us in this life, didn't stop her from worshiping the Lord? Didn't stop her from being faithful to the Lord and believing in God. That's why I say I, 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 in that sense, I, I take my hat off if I had one and acknowledge that this was a woman who exemplifies, who, who shone brightly in those difficult times, what it means to trust God in spite of the circumstances of life. Sometimes easier to say than it is to live, isn't it? And yet it was so with Hannah. And you know, she was loyal to God, even though her deepest desire was not fulfilled. She was remarkable, too. You know, somebody said this morning, I don't remember who it was, but in their praying about as our men and our women pray, you know, in our first meeting. So true, isn't it? You know, that women, we all need to be reminded that because when we come together in the capacity of the church that the woman's role is not the leading role, the leading uh, audible vocal role, that it doesn't mean that you don't pray. And it doesn't mean that what you do isn't important. Hannah's praying occurred there. It says in verse 13, she spoke in her heart. Her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. It wasn't audible. But God heard it. She worshipped. She prayed. God heard it. She had a sorrowful spirit. She poured out her heart before the Lord. It wasn't audible. But God heard it. So vital, isn't it? He heard the prayer of her heart. And ultimately, when, when Hannah had the boy, it's one of those amazing sections of Scripture. I didn't read it further down. It says in chapter 2, in verse 19, his mother made from a little coat, brought it up to him from year to year. Apparently, she only saw him once a year. I don't know how long she took to wean him. <laughs> Cultural things in different you know, parts of the world are different. I mean, we think it quite unusual for a child not to be weaned at four or five. And uh, yet there are parts of the world where that's not uncommon. And I don't know that Hannah took that long. Me, I'm like, I'm not going to wean him until he's 11 or something, you know, to keep that child. But she took him up as a young child. I don't know how young. And only saw him from year to year. Brought him a little coat. Her son. What was the key in this time of corruption and laxity and things out of order and out of whack a woman who was willing to put the Lord's interest above her own personal interest imagine she prays to God what is it she wants it's not selfish I want him, I want a child but Lord I'm going to take that child I'm going to dedicate him over to you God gives her what she wants And she takes the very thing that she's been praying for and asking God for, the thing that will fulfill her, and she turns around and gives that child over to the Lord. And what trust she had to take that little boy when everybody knew what was happening at the house of the Lord in Shiloh, when they knew what Hophni and Phinehas were doing with the women who came to serve at the tabernacle, When they knew the corruption and the laxity that was taking place in God's house, she trusted God and said, God will take care of him. I still meet young parents in this world who sometimes say, I don't know if I want to have children and raise them in such a wicked world. Listen, if God gives you children, he's able to save those children. He's able to preserve those children. He's able to use those children in the world in which we live. He did it then. Put him in there as a testimony, didn't he? When The priest was insensitive and unable to listen to what God said. He put a young man in there who could listen and hear the voice of God and respond appropriately. Samuel, what a man he was. Here was Hannah who had absolutely nothing and yet gave everything to God. That was the key, wasn't it? That was the key. She recognized God's government in her daily affairs. And I want to just briefly begin to look at chapter 2 because her prayer is so incredible. Um, She says in verse 1, my horn is exalted. Whenever you read about the horns in Scripture, it speaks of not trumpets and, you know, cornets and things like that as much as it does uh, animal horns, which are symbols of power like we learn in the book of Daniel. Symbols of governmental power and authority. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. She begins to see in her daily domestic affairs principles that are bigger than her daily affairs, the very principles upon which God governs and rules the universe. It's amazing. It's a recognition of God's government and a recognition of God's grace. You see, things were out of order in the world in which she lived. Things were out of order in the government. Things were out of order in the priesthood. Things were out of order in the home. But she looked higher than that, didn't she? And she saw a God who one day would turn things back around. The bows of the mighty men would be broken. Those that were full would hire themselves out for bread. The barren will bear seven. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He lifts up. He'll turn it all around one day, won't He? And what's the key? What's the answer? It's found in verse 10. He shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And if you know... The Hebrew word for anointed is the Messiah. There's the answer, isn't it? What's the answer to the problems in human government? I'll tell you this. It ain't going to be what happens in November in the U.S. of A. (laughs) That's not going to be the answer. That's not going to be the solution. Not ultimately, is it? It's not in a man. It's not in a woman. It's in God's Son when he finally takes the reins of this world into his hands then the world will know a righteous ruler then the world will know righteous government then the wrongs will be righted and things will be made as they should be and that'll be the only time other than that we will continue in life to be disappointed we should pray for those in authority we might be able to live peaceable lives that the gospel might go forth we have a desire for righteousness if we're saved it's within us and yet hannah knew the real answer didn't she God's government. And what an amazing verse this is in verse 8. He raises the poor up out of the dust. He lifts the beggar from the dunghill. What does he do with them? He sets them among princes. They'll inherit the very throne of glory. How did she know? (laughs) Here she was living in that little land in in the Middle East so far so long ago. Uneducated. And yet, she knew the very principles not only of God's government, but of God's grace. She looked beyond that as she saw what God does. I mean, I have a little note in my Bible that says that's me. Taking me from the dunghill, taking me from the dust heap, the rubbish pile. And raised me up to sit with princes. sit with the very lord of glory to inherit the very throne of glory this is big you know when i got saved i was dumber than the brick when it came to spiritual things i mean i wasn't raised in a christian home i didn't know much about the bible and and i couldn't even hardly explain what had happened to me not in biblical terms you know much less anything else but I, i just remember thinking when i got saved I am a part of something that's way bigger than me. I know that'll sound dumb to you maybe and, you know, thick, but it just, there was a sense that, you know, I have now become some part of something that is really big. And we have, haven't we? We are a part of what God is up to. And you and I who are believers, I love the fact that it was to the church at Corinth. You talk about things out of, out of whack And he has to remind those at Corinth. Don't you know that one day you will judge angels? Don't you know that one day you will judge the very world? And how that was to impact how they dealt with one another, even personally, as believers, to remember what it is that God has elevated us to, that it will one day be seen. It's powerful. Now she recognized that the very pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He set the world upon it. The principles that this is the creator. He has established the world. He set the earth upon its pillars. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it, that that woman knew? Well, she knew in one sense what the priest should have been communicating in that day and what the men should have been communicating in that day. And yet, God brings it through her. Amazing. She was cognizant of God's grace. I want to tell you four ways that Hannah learned God. She learned him in her daily life. I promise you that whatever Hannah did day by day wasn't anything dramatic. It wasn't anything, you know, extravagant. The day-by-day details of a woman's life in that part of the world in that day were fairly mundane. And yet she could see, even in how God dealt with her in her life, uh, the, the principles that were so much bigger. She learned God. She learned God in her heartache. She learned God in her lack of fulfillment. And she learned God through her dedication what she gave to the Lord. It's interesting, isn't it? The story of Hannah begins with what the Lord withheld from her. And then it tells us what she, well, she didn't hold anything back, did she? (laughs) She gave it all to him. It's amazing when we think about it. Desiring to see that child functioning, serving, in spite of the failure and the disloyalty all around, the impurity of the priesthood, and everything else. She recognized the Lord's presence. And, you know, even when the Lord's house wasn't in order, they still found the Lord there. I'll tell you this if you haven't learned it. You know, sometimes you first get saved, you think it's all wonderful. I remember a fellow I knew got saved when he was 82 years old. It was the weirdest thing in one sense. It was like this newborn babe in an 82-year-old body, you know, the name was George. He had an interesting job. He used to calibrate compasses on big ships, you know, back before GPS or Loran or any of that. And he'd go around to these big ships and calibrate their compasses. Interesting job. And George got saved at 82. And he just thought everybody was wonderful. <laughs> I prayed, Lord, don't let him ever get over it. <laughs> because I'll tell you, you live long enough. You'll find everything's not always in order the way it ought to be in the Lord's house. But you can find the Lord there. They did. Didn't prevent them from worshiping God as they should have. Shouldn't prevent us either. So may the Lord help us in these lessons. We'll continue tonight to look further into the book of Samuel and see other things having to do with God's government. Let's look to him in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for Hannah. What a remarkable woman she was of faith. And we don't exalt her just as a person, but as those principles which you have brought out in her life, you have uh, permanently inscribed them here in the Word of God for us to see. And how remarkable it was to see a woman functioning the way that she did. We, We marvel at her faith and her loyalty to you in spite of disloyalty all around, in her own house, in the priesthood, in the land, in the government. And yet... It did not prevent her from being a faithful woman of God. And she began to see, even in her daily experience, bigger things, bigger principles, the very principle of God's government of the universe, of your creatorial power setting the world on its pillars, and how she learned you through her daily experience. May it be a reminder to us. We give you thanks that you have the ability to take those out of the dunghill and the garbage pile and make something out of them to inherit the very throne of glory what a contrast and so we give you thanks again for what you are able to do through the horn of your anointed the Messiah the Christ we thank you for him And father we thank you again that you've given us richly all things to enjoy and now for the food that we're about to receive We give you thanks for it. We thank you for those that have been involved in providing and preparing it. And um, we we think of what an amazing thing it is that your word tells us that we can even eat and drink to the glory of God. And so we give you thanks for the abundance that you've blessed us with. We give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.